Today on CityCast Pittsburgh. When I was in high school, there were no metal detectors as you walked in, no armed guards, no real security at all. Rather than calling the cops if there was a fight or if someone was having a bad day, teachers would step in. I don't know if my experience makes me sound ancient or just lucky, because nowadays when school districts have a discipline problem or even the perception of one, a lot of them are bringing in police to keep the peace. And surprise, surprise, the Pennsylvania arm of the ACLU has found a lot of problems with that. Senior producer Megan Harris talks to Gata Makushi, who wrote the new report. It's Thursday, February 3rd. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. So in this report, you found that PPS kids were more than three times as likely to be arrested than students in other Allegheny County districts. And as you say, Allegheny County fared worse than any other county in Pennsylvania. These arrests and disciplinary actions and overcharging, who is that happening to within the schools? What kinds of students? Primarily black students and students with disabilities. So black students within Allegheny County were arrested at nine times the rate of white students. Um, and then students within Alle- uh, students with disabilities in Allegheny County were arrested at three times the rate. But, and here's the thing with the reporting, the only place where we can get data on students with disabilities being arrested is the civil rights data collection. Um, it is not captured in police reports. It's not captured in juvenile justice data. They don't capture disability. They capture race and gender um, and age. And so it is only the schools that are reporting disability status. And if they are not reporting it accurately, while we are saying that the rate is three times, it could be much higher because we really don't know what's happening if the schools aren't reporting accurately. Did your research tell you why this is happening? It did not tell us why um, there was such disparities between the reporting. Um, And so when we focus on Pittsburgh public schools within this report, and we did a spotlight specifically on Pittsburgh public schools, not just because they were the largest school district, but again, because there were multiple sources of data for their student arrests. And in each of the different sources that we looked at, some released by the school itself, uh, we kept getting different numbers. So for example, to the civil rights data collection, they reported zero arrests for the 2017-2018 year. To the Pennsylvania Department of Education, they reported 86. And in the juvenile justice data, there were actually showing 499 arrests. You know, I covered education for a few years when I first moved to Pennsylvania, and I am not unaccustomed to different numbers, but zero to 499 (laughs) is a wild discrepancy. It is. Did they answer for that at all? They did not. We sent them a copy of the report and we have not heard anything back. Is there a reason why you think some of these arrests are happening or why you're getting such significant underreporting? I know that when we have talked to school districts about policing issues or about arrests, for some schools, it seems to be the mentality of once the police gets involved, it's no longer our issue. Right. So the tracking of what's happening to students, uh, it's now a police issue. Right. So there's not a lot of accountability or responsibility for getting police involved in the first place, especially when they are super minor issues. You know, if it has to do with a cell phone violation, if it has to do with a dress code violation or a student not leaving the class, things that happen in schools and have happened for decades that aren't necessarily police 
related issues. And are these all outside police officers or folks that work within the schools? Like Pittsburgh Public has its own force within its school district, but is that true of other districts that you studied? It's a mixed bag. So there are SROs, school resource officers, which are uh, police that are employed by their local police bureau or department and then have a contract with the school district and they are assigned to that school. And then there are some schools like PPS and others that employ their own school police officers or SPOs. So what are these interactions like? You know, police have been uh, called in for whatever reason, a violation, big or small. What happens then for the student, for the school, for the officer? Right. So any type of police officer is involved in investigating an issue. It's called a referral to law enforcement. And it doesn't necessarily mean that any action was taken. Uh, So and these are also being underreported, the number of referrals. But uh, so what can happen when there is a referral is that the student could be arrested They could be issued a summary citation or no action could be taken. But we also don't know the number of times that even police officers are being called or whether police officers who work in the building and just happen to respond, whether those are being documented as calls to police. I'm trying to think of this in terms of like all the ways you could categorize this, right? Like it just (laughs) it seems like a world of ways. And each school, I'm sure, has to a degree their own methodology for it. Is any of this required by the state of Pennsylvania or by the U.S. Department of Education? Yeah. So there is state law that has uh, a list of infractions for which you must call a police officer. And then everything else is discretionary. And so it varies from school district to school district where sometimes the thought is like, we'll just call police for everything. And then they'll make the determination on what action should be taken, if any. Um, And so they become overly reliant on police. Another thing is that schools are so understaffed. So especially when there are police that are already in the building, sometimes it's a matter of like, well, that's a that's a person I can call because I know that they're not teaching a class or doing something else. So I'll just call them to help me. And then things get escalated that way as well. So you've got 30 students that need attention and one that might be acting out in some small way. And it's just easier to push them onto the officer for now because I have to deal with all these other things. Right. Exactly. What are those discretionary, uh, you know, issues that can arise? Like what merits the uh, intervention of an officer by this definition? Um, so there could, uh, for the, the ones that are discretionary that are very minor are just fighting verbal arguments, uh, disruption in the hallways, you know, um, things that as many of us were growing up that we saw happen all the time. There's no physical altercation. There's not anything that really requires an adult to intervene but police will get involved. And in the case of black students in particular, that tends to escalate and there tends to be a lot of overcharging. So for example, if more than, like in the case that we've seen a number of times, more than two black girls were fighting, let's say in a cafeteria, so let's say there's three or four, um, and they do not immediately, again, no physical altercation, they could just be yelling at each other, but they do not immediately uh, cease fighting upon official command, then they could be charged with riot, which is a felony. So they could have disorderly conduct and a riot as a charge listed against them. You know, that kind of reminds me of what can happen, you know, to adults when in small interactions with police where you're charged with a felony because they know that it's going to go to the court system and you'll plead down guilty to the misdemeanor just to make the felony go away. Are they really doing this to children? Yes. Yeah. They are. So we're seeing that in particular happen to black students. So in one of 
the data sources that we looked at, which is the Berg's Eye View, it actually shows you all of the charges that are that were filed against the youth. Um, and what we found in the case of black youth is that they were being overcharged. Um, and so in some cases, we would see as many as 10 different charges filed against a black youth were the most we ever saw against a white youth was five, but in particular, it was one or two on average. The average for black youth was like three to five. So this is all 2018-19, all pre-pandemic, of course. And now we've been hearing about all these fights and a fatal shooting at Pittsburgh Public. Is there anything that you're seeing in the news today that you feel like you maybe have a better understanding of because of what you studied from this previous school year? Yeah. So I would say that if there's a rise in misbehavior or in the violence in schools, it's not something that is unexpected. And there are therapists, there are advocates um, who have been talking about this since the beginning of COVID, that we are seeing a rise in mental, emotional, behavioral issues, um, students that have lost adults or other loved ones, that they have been in social isolation, that they have more anxiety, and they're coming to school with all sorts of trauma now, and they need more support, right? And we need to be prepared for that. And we had talked to school districts about what are you going to do? Are you hiring more social workers? Are you hiring more people to address all of this stuff that children are bringing to school so that we can proactively address any of their needs and prevent some of the escalation that we now see happening? Because in the vast majority of school districts, there was no increase in staff unless it was police officers. So what can they do? Um, From your perspective, what are some potential solutions? So it's a lot of the things that we were saying, uh, the recommendations, but also pre-COVID is that we do need more support staff. So we need more social workers. We need more counselors, especially with students with disabilities, is that we need people who are actually trained to work with students with disabilities and police are not. They, They really don't know how to do that. That's not their job, forgetting that it's COVID right now. But we need peace builders. We need violence interrupters. We need people that are from the community in these schools interacting with students. The schools that children go to should be inclusive. They should be welcoming. Uh, They should be supportive. There should be respect, not just from students to teachers, but really from staff towards the students as well. And really, one of the main things is that every single child in that school should have at least one trusted adult in the building. And if they don't have that connection, then we don't really know what's going on with them. So... I think that's something that principals can take on is connecting with teachers, making sure that each student has had some connection, um, that their family has been contacted, that they have been contacted. And then there's the compassion and the grace of uh, we're still in a pandemic, you know, and that sometimes, you know, what is what is the goal here? So I think when we're saying things like schools are going to give a lower grade to a student if they don't submit XX homework by this deadline? Is the goal control or is the goal has the child mastered the content, right? So instead of creating conflict over control, we are really trying to get to what can we do to support and help this child grow? That hits so hard for me. I just, I I can see how that is a piece that is maybe lost, especially as 
you know, many of the adults in these school systems are probably so stressed that it becomes more about control than than grace, as you say. Right. And absolutely. I mean, teachers are also stretched thin. <laughs> I mean, they're suffering from this lack of support and being understaffed as well. If they don't have enough people in the building, as you, you know, the, the example that you mentioned earlier, if there's 30 students in a class, right, they can't focus on the one or two that need additional support. They need somebody else in the building or in that classroom assisting them. Gotta thank you for your work and for bringing attention to this. Um, I hope that there's some resolution and that you hear back from some of those school boards soon. (laughs) I hope so as well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, stories like this always have to do with kids, but it's kind of rare that we actually get to hear from one. Newsletter editor Francesca DeBecco caught up with Pittsburgh Obama sixth grader Emmett Cleeth. He spoke in front of the Pittsburgh Public School Board last fall about some of the very same problems that God has been studying. What was it like for you when you went back to school? Well, it was a lot more chaotic than I had remembered. Um, we did not get an orientation of the school. We didn't get a map or have... They didn't tell us how to work our way around the school. They didn't introduce us to our classmates. Do you think that things have been especially rough since going back to school after the pandemic? It's it's a little more stressful to, to learn in these conditions? Yeah, because there's a lot of teachers that have gotten sick so they can't go to school and a lot of people are scared to work there due to COVID and there hasn't been a lot of There's actually a lot of fights at my school, and kids haven't been to school in years, so they've kind of forgotten how to act at school. Yeah, and um, what what does happen at school when something like that happens? Well, usually you a kid gets sent to the office or in detention or suspension. Sometimes get yelled at, and then just continue back to the lesson. Right, right. So what 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 were you thinking about how they could approach these sort of situations differently? I was thinking maybe instead of yelling at a kid, they could try to resolve the conflict and maybe send them to a room with like a mediator in like a relaxing space. Yeah so that they could try to calm down. Because if you send a kid to the principal, they're still mad at whoever they were fighting. Why was it important for you to stand up to your school board and and, and voice your, your opinion on this? Because I figured that if I didn't, then there wouldn't be a lot of other people that would. Now to some other news happening here in Pittsburgh. Well, Francesca, Punxsutawney Phil saw his shadow yesterday. I mean, I guess that means what we have six more weeks of winter, but in Pittsburgh, it's pretty much always a guarantee that as of February, we'll at least have six more weeks of winter. Yeah, I'm with you there, Morgan. I've lived here my whole life, and I don't think early spring is actually a thing. But, um, you know, there's hopefully some good news as we prepare for the rest of our winter here in the Berg. The city is looking to buy six new snowplows and rent six more, which we so desperately need. 
Yeah, they certainly will need to keep the roads clean this weekend. There's actually a winter storm warning in effect right now, and it looks like we're going to be getting more rain, which is going to get a little bit worse tomorrow when the temperature drops. So definitely be careful on the roads. Yeah, good to keep in mind. So Morgan, yesterday on the podcast, we told everyone how they could get a peek at the collapsed Fern Hollow Bridge, but it turns out we missed our chance. Yeah, Pittsburgh, it only took us two days to successfully nebnose our way out of the overlook. Literally, its entire job was for us to look off of it. And they've closed the observation deck as PennDOT is getting ready to start repairs. I mean, it doesn't really impact me because I wasn't going to go anyways, but uh, just so you know, it's closed. But I'll tell you what I am excited about is all the black... Black History Month celebrations happening. Yeah, I really want to check out the Teeny Harris exhibit at the City County Building. It's called The Man Behind the Lens, and it'll be in the lobby all month long. There's going to be photographs, books, and other tokens from Harris's life in Pittsburgh. I love Teeny Harris's photos because I actually get a chance to see a lot of my own family from decades ago in some of his photos. Morgan, that is too cool. We got to get you some of those photographs for you to put up on your wall as an ode to Teeny and your family. Definitely. I'm, you know, trying to start my art collection soon. Well, shameless plug here. If you're looking for more things to do for Black History Month and some of the celebrations happening around town, be sure to subscribe to the CityCast newsletter because I'll be sharing more over the next few weeks. Definitely subscribe. There's a lot of cool things happening in there, um, Black History celebrations, and also everything that's going on in the city that we don't get to talk about on the podcast. Yes, please. I want to be in your inbox. (laughs) Does that sound bad? That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. Francesca DeBecco writes the newsletter. The show this week was edited by Matt Stroud. Megan Harris hosted and produced this week, Double Duty. And Benji does our tunes. I'm your host, Morgan Moody. Check out the newsletter. Hit us up on social. We'll be back Tuesday with more news from around the city. All right, we'll see you then. All the black history, all the blackity black, black, black events.